Good morning to everyone out there on YouTube, except for the people that are still out on spring break down in Florida partying. It is Monday morning, so we are going behind the business of fantasy football, and this is a this is a special episode. I know I feel like I say that every time, but there's there's two reasons why. One, we got the legend Adam Leviton onto the show. I don't know how he pulled it. I don't even think he knows what's going on right now, but I'm really excited <laughs> for this one to interview him. Two, this is the last piece of content, I believe, ever being created in the Brooklyn headquarters. The business of fantasy football. We're talking marketing, advertising, sponsors, social engagement, all that stuff. Adam is the co-founder of Establish the Run, has a huge presence in the fantasy football industry. Of course, I'm sure all you guys are familiar with the brand, with the company, and what Adam has done over the years, you know, between DraftKings and between Roto World and all the places that he's kind of stopped along the way. Adam, I'm super, super, super duper excited to have you. When I started the series two years ago, I think this is a 23rd episode, I want to say, you were pretty much, uh, I think I had like three people in mind that I really wanted to do for this. You were one of the three. You're such a down to earth dude. And I'm like, I feel like we can relate on a lot of levels, like personality wise. So I was like, I want to interview him, but you've also had so much experience in the space. So I'm really excited to see like your takes on a lot of things kind of getting here with you is, is pretty surreal. So uh, welcome to the business of fantasy football. And I'm super excited to chop it up for the next hour or so. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I, I love this stuff. I love talking about it. I love thinking about it. I think I ran super hot and got super lucky with a lot of stuff that, that we can talk about if you want. But but yeah, I mean, happy to be here. Yeah, arms, so are looking, arms, are, arms are looking good, by the way. I see you posted that thing about doing the push-ups and the squats and the, <laughs> and the crunches, dude, looking big. Yeah, I hate that that was your uh, first impression of me. Now I feel now I feel like an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Listen, man, we got we got to stay fit. I just actually hid my yoga mat that I have on the other side of the room over there because we're locked up, man. Like you said, you can't play basketball. Yeah. We can't go to the gym. We gotta we gotta keep each other accountable somehow. Otherwise, over the next month and a half, we're all gonna be you know a little thick. We're we're gonna be on the Eddie Lacy level. But yeah. no more football talk. No players. No. If you're here for fantasy football content, I'm sorry. This is not the place to be. We're gonna talk some business. So. Adam, you go back in the industry, right? You have a lot of experience over a lot of different places. And in terms of like your first official place, I could be wrong on this, but I want to say you started at Roto World in 2005. I'm assuming that that wasn't, you know, you don't just, you know, wake up one day, open your laptop and are working for Roto World. So give us a little, little bit of a background to history of like how you got to that point or what you were doing before then, whether it was starting in college and doing your own blog or whatever, you know, the, the floor is yours there. Yeah, no, I, I graduated from Penn State in 2004, so I'm, I'm super old. Uh, graduated from Penn State in 2004, and I got this job at a place called the Sports Network, like maybe two or three months after I graduated, and it was in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and it wasn't even, it was like a borderline real job. They paid me like 25000 a year. I was like covering like uh, European soccer, quote unquote covering. We would watch the games on TV and then like write about them for this, for this website that was kind of like a wire service. and. Uh, they laid me off after like five or six months because, well, for a lot of reasons, but they, but you know, they just weren't doing that well. And so, uh, they cut all the people that they had recently hired. So after that, I was doing a lot of stuff that I talked about in the podcast, uh, mostly like playing poker for a living and also doing things, part-time work for small newspapers like the Doyle Town Intelligencer as a page designer and got to know, uh, this guy, Jordan Ronan, who now covers the Giants for. ESPN. He got the job as the sports editor at Metro Philadelphia, which was like a free daily that like homeless people used to like sleep on and people do like the crossword puzzling and stuff like that. If you guys are in Philly or New York or Boston, you probably know it. And so he gave me a chance to write some Sixer stuff, some 
fantasy stuff. And so yeah, after like a couple of years of doing that and grinding poker a lot, I just sent some of these fantasy clips to Greg Rosenthal, who was like the head of Roto World football at the time. Now he's with NFL Network. And after like six months, Greg wrote me back just out of stone blue and was like, I can't let you write any articles. You know, maybe that can come later. I just, I need news blurbers. So I started off doing part-time, you know, like $8 that, an hour. Is news that what you guys call each other? Blurbers? Yeah, blurbers. Exactly. That's funny. <laughs> uh, so I think I started that in like 2007 or 2008. And yeah, so, so that's how I got to Roto World. That I met Evan there and Pat and Wesling and all those guys. And that's kind of how it got started. And then fantasy football just started to take off in Roto World. I think Roto World was extremely popular because it was just like straight news, which people needed. And at the time, it was really hard to find that straight news. And we spent so much time reading newspapers. It wasn't like when there was Twitter and all the news comes to you. Like we actually, I, I used to wake up in the morning and read 32 newspapers every single morning. There's sports sections on the internet just to try to find you know, an injury reporter who was healthy or, or whatever. And so Roto World got really popular. And then that was obviously uh, good for me. And then, yeah, everything kind of took off from there. I never thought that this would be like a full-time thing. And it might not have been, maybe I'm speeding ahead too fast here, but it may, I was really almost ready to give up because it just wasn't enough money, you know, for me to really like put a ton of time in and, and live the lifestyle I want to live. So I was almost ready to give up. And then DFS happened and that was just like, the exponential boom that like the industry needed to uh, inflection of money. You're almost known as like the DFS guy in yeah. fantasy. And, and that's not to be taken in a bad way or like put you in a box or anything, but you've grown so big to the point where now it's like, when you think of DraftKings, you think of you, right? Is that weird for you? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Like people would say maybe like, I, I mean, I've gambled, quote unquote gambled, you know, and I've talked a lot about this, what I, what my definition of gambling is, but by most people's definition of gambled, I've gambled almost every day uh, for the last, you know, 17 years or something. And season long, even what people would consider high stakes, you know, $1,000 buy-in or $2,000 buy-in or $5,000 buy-in. It's like for the amount of hours that you put in and your expectation in like a single season, you're not even playing that big. So DFS always like super, uh, super, super appealed to me. I love fantasy football and I love peer-to-peer uh, -peer skill games, which I think DFS is. And so DFS was just like so, so, so perfect for me. And I think a lot of like the season long guys before me, like kind of were like, oh, this is going to be a fad or this is not real <laughs> fantasy football or, or stuff like that. And, and yeah, I, I just thought that it was like perfect for me. So I don't mind being associated with DFS at all. Like that's like the only form of fantasy that I've played really for the last five years. So let me, let me ask you, do you enjoy actually playing DFS and like the gambling portion of it more than creating content around that stuff? Like if, oh, if for the rest of your life, money didn't matter. And like from this day forward, you could be like, oh, you could just play DFS and, and grind it out and gamble and play poker or whatever, or create content around it. Like, which do you prefer more? Yeah, no, I love to, I consider myself a player first. You know, I think that's what's like made whatever success I've had people, you know, there's a lot of people that jump in and they try to be about DFS and they're not really players. They're just like trying to talk about it. I think actually playing and trying to play big and trying to play seriously is, is a big part of what is any success that I had in it. Um, the thing is about it, like your ceiling is capped in playing, you know, like there's only one of me. I can only play so much poker. I can only play so much DFS. And as you get to high stakes, like it's tough, man, you know, like uh, edges are, you know, 1%, 2%, 3%. And, you know, if you're good, maybe five, 6% or something like that. And so people extrapolate that out. They realize that there's a lot more money to be made doing other things in life, investments, business, et cetera, than there is just, just straight playing. But from a, from a fun perspective, I mean, God, playing is always the best. 
Yeah, it's funny because most of my audience is season long, and I've been transitioning a lot of my content into Dynasty Fantasy. Do you play any Dynasty? I'm in one league that Roto Pat suckered me into. Uh, it's fun, man. It, it's, 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 it takes a lot of thought. I think it's fun. So it's funny how you say like a lot of people jump into DFS and they just try to create and make something out of it, but they're not real players. I'm seeing that a lot in Dynasty too, around content being created within the space because a lot of people are seeing that it's getting, I mean, it's not that popular, but it's getting a lot more popular within the season long audience. So a lot of people are jumping in and they'll you know tweet things out or put up polls or whatever. And it's just like, if you're really in in the day-to-day of the dynasty stuff, you're just like that's not a, that's not a reasonable fucking poll to put mm-hmm. out there. That's not a, a thing that like normal dynasty players would really focus on. It's funny seeing how, you know, trends kind of take off and then people try to jump on, but I think like you said it goes back to if you're not like a player first, your stuff is not really going to resonate with the other people that are players and they're the ones that are ultimately decide how big you grow. Exactly. People can spot if something's authentic or not, like people aren't dumb, you know, they, the overwhelming majority of people can, can spot it. So yeah, for sure. Going off that point, you had your last solo pod episode you put out a couple of days ago, just kind of saying goodbye to DraftKings. And that was the last piece that you will be putting on DraftKings because the rest of the content will be 100% focused on establish the run. And I noticed something when you were talking throughout it, most of the stuff you said you thank the people at DraftKings and the people that have helped you so far and whatever. And most of it didn't really touch on DFS or, or gambling or fantasy or whatever. It was all those like behind the scenes things that you really enjoyed. You're like the funnest part were fan questions that I got at the end, those kind of things that I got to write up in the book and, and, and that kind of stuff. And it's funny because like you've grown very big and the way I look at it, cause I've been following you for, for a long, long time. And I have friends that like have followed you for, you know, 10 years, like a decade, right? You've always been that guy that's like very down to earth and very relatable. And I feel like I don't know if you know this, but I feel like the reason that you grew to where you are today, that wasn't like a piece of it. I feel like that was because of that stuff. Because in today, like the way I look at branding and the way I look at kind of separating yourself is it's almost like trying to get into a new social media platform. Like if you're not first to market, it's going to be very hard to get there. I almost feel like authenticity is at that point where it's like, if that's not already a key piece of the content that you're putting out, you're like way behind the trend. So you were one of the first dudes, I feel like that really kind of threw their personality and their authenticity into the content that they were creating. When you did that, like when you started integrating that stuff into your content, was that just like intentional or was that just like this? I can't do it any other way. Yeah, I find football like Sorry, kind of boring. Like a super long-winded question that kind of threw no, me I, I no, I I I find like you know football kind of boring. You know, like if I wasn't playing fantasy, like I wouldn't never watch football. Uh, I don't know if I even I don't even know if at this point in my life, you know, I'd even watch sports anymore if it wasn't for for fantasy. So uh, yeah, so I'm always think that finding other things to talk about is fun and but I think that like the way that what it takes to win at DFS or poker or anything else the way you would think about it is the way that I like to think about life decisions also so that's kind of where it came from you know people were asking me all kinds of questions about their life and I would answer it in the same way I would think about a poker hand or or a decision in DFS and try to really get as much information as possible make the best decisions possible um and I think people hadn't like thought like that or they hadn't seen somebody like think like that before everybody I know in poker and everybody I know in in DFS I mean every life decision is is the same as as you would make in gambling so yeah I thought it was like normal but I guess on a larger scale which I was lucky enough to have like people just hadn't heard that before and and yeah you know I love trying to be funny and trying to give exaggerated takes and stuff like that because uh, yeah it's just fun yeah, I hear you. All right. You've been through the rigors of it. You've you've done the blogging. You've done some video, done podcasting for a long time. What would you say is your favorite type of, of content to make 
Yeah, to make is definitely the podcast. I mean, I did some TV slash video stuff when I was at Roto World slash NBC. I, I've done, you know, uh, some video stuff for drafting. It's just kind of uncomfortable for me to be up there with like a bunch of good looking people. And like, you know, like it's just, it, I just feel like I can't really be myself, you know, wearing a suit and stuff. So uh, the podcast, you know, nobody sees me. I, I'm free to say whatever I want. And you can express yourself, I think, faster. You know, writing an article can take, I, I do spend a lot of time preparing for the podcast, maybe three, four, five hours for a solo pod or something like that. But writing an article, you know, can take way, 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 way longer than that. So yeah, I think from an efficiency standpoint, podcasting is also uh, the best, I would say. Yeah, it's definitely easier than, than video. I like video though. I feel like a super underrated part of like putting content out and you do get this a little bit in podcasting, but in video, I feel like even just like hand gestures like this and like little micro expressions, I feel like are very relatable to the audience. I don't know. That's just something I've kind of thought about yeah. recently over the last year or so. I'm like, yeah, I really like video for that reason. And I feel like when you do video, people get sort of an attachment to you like very, very quickly, but you do get that with podcasting as well, which is why yeah. obviously we've seen it blow up. So so recently it's funny uh at nbc they had uh a, a, an actual person who's it was like an on-air coach and so one time they sent me to like meet with this on-air coach and it was this girl and she was like okay when like we we she put up like the tape like we were studying like film of a football game and she was like <laughs> your when you your hands need to be like crossed like this and and when you when you talk you need to have your left hand here and your right hand here and i was like oh my god like what am i doing and if that was your first impression of it yeah i would i guess i would probably hate <laughs> video too that's awful we, we talked about how your DraftKings era ha has come to an end. I want to talk about the relationship you had with DraftKings a little bit as we talked pre-show with Pat Mayo, who was the last guest on here. He has his show, The Pat Mayo Experience. Now his is, he gets a lot of listens through his podcast audio. So when he gets to talk about content creation, whether it's talking to advertisers or sponsors or potential, you know, buyers of the actual content itself, like DraftKings, he can kind of split that up. And that's exactly what he did. He sold the video content to DraftKings. So if you go on the DraftKings YouTube page, it's all the Pat Mayo experience stuff, but he still owns the rights to his audio stuff. So for you, like I said, I, I, I wasn't really sure about your relationship with DraftKings. You said DFS kind of got popular. You started doing a lot of content for them. I'm just curious, uh, a little peek behind the curtain, like how, how did that get started, your partnership with them? And like, what was it like throughout the landscape of it? And um, just like the details behind it? Yeah. So I, I was at uh, Roto World, but I was Super, getting super into DFS and uh, you know I was friends with Peter and Al from uh, doing a show with them. Peter had just started Fantasy Labs and so we were talking about what could happen if I left Roto World and so him uh, and Al and you know the guys at DraftKings reached out to me and did an independent contractor agreement with them basically to be like a brand ambassador, do a podcast and and write some articles. It was very loose, you know, at that time. And this was 2015 before, like, everything happened with uh, DFS. This was, like, during the Wild West times. Like, they were not too worried about little old me. So it was just, it wasn't anything too serious. It was just, uh, you know, come on, be a brand ambassador, promote DraftKings, and do the podcast, and write some articles. And that was basically it. And then at the same time, I did a deal with Fantasy Labs to help promote the Fantasy Labs product. And... Uh, do the news for them too in the same kind of way that I had done it for uh, Roto World before, and so yeah, that was kind of the way it was for all for all five years at at DraftKings. I talked about such absurd things on the podcast and on and on Twitter, and they never like batted an eye, you know. And I even like 
talked about things like it's one thing to be funny and, and joke about like sex and stuff like that, which I did a ton. But but also I also talk to people seriously about like how hard it is to win and, and rate being rate conscious and stuff that like most operators wouldn't want you to talk about. And DraftKings never, ever, outside of like a couple rare occasions, like the Bachelor Gate thing and the Ethan Gate thing, outside of those times, they never not once asked me not to talk about XYZ topic. That's cool though. I feel like that works really well from a company standpoint, even though, you know, on the contrary where you're like, uh, it, it might be weird for them to let you do that. I think in the long run, it helps a brand like that. It, it kind of gains trust with the audience when you actually hear them open up about what they're doing and things they have going on behind the scenes. An audience member hears that and they're like, oh, that is pretty cool. Maybe I could put a little more trust into this brand. And that might be the switch between, you know, a FanDuel or DraftKings or whatever it is. So <laughs> you're talking about being a brand ambassador. You're uh, spoken like a true millennial uh, Instagram girl over there. I know you're- Oh, really? Is that, what they, is that what they say? God. Basically, like every hot girl that has over 3,000 followers is a brand ambassador for some kind of like clothing, bathing suit line or like clothing brand or some <laughs> shit like that, like Fashion Nova. So when I hear the word brand ambassador, it's actually kind of, it's funny coming out of your mouth because I know you're not really, uh, you're not yeah. into that whole scene. You don't have an Instagram, right? I don't, but maybe I should considering all these brand ambassador uh, opportunities. Like you're the real brand ambassador over here. <laughs> Get on there and show them what's going on. Yeah, it's funny because I make the overlay for this video. Like I'll, I'll take the Zoom video and I'll throw it into the video editing software or whatever. And there's an overlay where like we're transparent. But on the bottom, I'll usually put like your Twitter handle. And then most people have an Instagram. So I put like their Instagram thing. But I was like, damn, I don't think Adam has one. I'm pretty sure like he's, he's like very much against that. So it's funny that you don't have it just because like I'm 27 years old. So if I come across, you know, if I meet new people that are my age, like 25 years old, and they're like, I don't have an Instagram. I'm like, that's fucking weird, bro. Like, why, why, don't you, why don't you have an Instagram, you know? So it's kind of funny because I heard you like talk about stuff like this. But let's get to uh, let's get to the juicy shit. Establish the run. You co-founded Establish the Run, and this was kind of like the news heard around the industry because yourself, as well as the guys like Evan Silva and the team that you've put together are, in a sense, you guys are the biggest influencers in the space. You guys are the biggest brand ambassadors for fantasy football. So I want to go back to when it all kind of started. And in your solo pod, you talked about the last one you just put out. You're like, I don't want to have any regrets looking back and saying, I didn't put everything I had into establish the run. So this is a year later, a year and a half after it's actually launched. When did it launch again? We announced in July of right before last season. So July of 2019. Okay, so it's coming on a year in a little bit. Yeah. So I'm sure the discussions about launching happened far, 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 far before July happened, because there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. Take me back to maybe the idea of it coming to fruition who had like the first thought about it being a thing who reached out to who what was the first conversation phone call who was on it like give me some of that yeah you know i always thought that at a big company like nbc like the workers don't realize the upside right like you realize your floor a lot at a big yes. company you know like they're going to pay you uh, a certain amount and no matter what happens coronavirus breakout or sports ends or whatever, like you're going to get your salary. But from an upside perspective, from a ceiling perspective, like you just don't realize it when you're just one of the worker bees, when you're just like one of the peons at uh, a big company. And so there's pros and cons to it, for sure. I always thought that it was right to uh, try to own your upside and so to bet on yourself. So I've always been trying to convince Evan to do something for, I don't know, probably going back to, to 2015. I had a lot of different ideas. One idea was just to do uh, a premium podcast where on Friday night, we would just go game by game and that's it. We wouldn't have a website. We wouldn't have anything. We would just charge you like $100 for the season just to talk on Friday night and go game by game. And maybe that would have been successful. But if 
we were also getting mine and Evan's takes throughout the whole week. I don't think it would have worked, number one. And number two, like it's not, it's not a real business just to have like a podcast. It's not like a full uh, blown business. So uh, yeah, I, you know, I had plenty of ideas and discussions about that. The timing wasn't always right, but yeah, the idea to do it, Taylor KB, who I think is like one of the smartest people in gambling and is, you know, not just playing, but on the business side. And I don't know, I did an interview with Taylor, if you guys don't know much about him on the Establish the Run feed, uh, you can find out more about him. And I've known Andrew Wiggins really well over the last few years, just from playing and, and he worked with DraftKings for a little bit and uh, also one of the best people uh, that I know in gambling. So uh, I thought it was the best possible team from both content and branding and business. And I thought that it would be like our floor was, you know, okay, so we only, you know, it doesn't work out and we go back and we work for NBC or, or, or whatever, you know, it's not the end of the world. Uh, so it, it seemed pretty obvious, uh, at least to me, that it was well worth it just to, to take a shot um, and just try to do it. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. It's not, it wasn't something over, overly complicated. It's just, um, we worked a long time, Evan and I did, to build up a following. And so obviously somebody who doesn't have a following can't just haul off and, and start a business and try to be profitable in year one. Like, it's not going to work like that. I feel like we've been working towards this for the last 10 years. And so uh, it's a little bit different for us than I think other people that are thinking about starting a business. But, you know, we had like 10 years behind it, which I thought made a big difference too. Yeah. W was there like a specific text that you got from Evan that was finally like, all right, fuck you, let's do it? Kind of. I mean, God, we, 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 we were going back and forth for so long. Um, yeah, because I understand like, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of risks about it. I can't remember one specific text, but, but yeah, we were just talking about it for, for months, I'd say. I've brought this up on this series before. We've brought up Establish a Run. I've always said that I was surprised it took Evan this long. I didn't know you were like into the whole business side of things. I've had Evan on one of our podcasts before. I was surprised because you guys have, you guys built so much leverage by yourselves. Like the, the audiences that you guys have are worth more than, you know, staying where you guys are because you can monetize that so easily, whatever you bring towards the new brand that you have. And we had, I got, we got Evan onto one of the podcasts I do with two of my friends. And I started asking him some of these questions, right? Cause this was probably after I'd done like eight or 10 of these interviews and Evan was one of the guys I wanted to have on. And I started asking him most of the business questions that I, that I was curious about at the time. And Evan was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really do anything like business related. He's like, he's like straight up the content guy. Like when we talk about like being in the life, man, he is like really about knowing every beat reporter and everything yeah. that happens. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's, this guy is like crazy within football. And I, I like really respect the passion and the grind he has for it. So it seems like you're a little bit more on, on the passionate side when it comes to business things. Yeah. And, and that's why I thought it, it worked perfectly. I mean, Evan knows more about football. I respect Evan's opinion about football more than anybody on the planet, more than, you know, people on NFL teams and, and reporters and all that. I, I think he has like a really, really unique way of, analyzing football and what's going to happen. So yeah, I, I think it's better. I mean, God, he's like a <laughs> in crazy encyclopedia of, of football and understands what's going on. And he's like doing blurbs right now on, on free agency in, in his tracker thing on like offensive linemen and like offensive linemen signs like a one year, $3 million deal. And he knows like everything about this guy. So <laughs> yeah. And, and that, and that's, that's not me for sure, because a lot of that stuff I think is more football than winning in, in DFS. I think it all goes towards it, but you know, like the actual, like down to the bottom minutia is more just about football and he absolutely loves football. Yeah. It's so funny. It's, it's so evident once you talk 
<laughs> for like, like, I don't know him that well. And he probably doesn't really know who remember who I am, but I could tell within like 10 minutes of the conversation, I was like, this guy's not, not a bad way, but he's fucking crazy. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the way heaven is, you know? So, so you, you bring on guys that obviously know business well, like you said, and they run the company very well. How involved are you individually when it comes to, you know, business decisions within establish the run? Yeah, everything, every day. Yeah, I, I'm trying to learn more and not be a total noob about about business. It's crazy. People don't realize how many decisions there are every day and how many strategy sessions. And you put up a website, you put up some articles and, and some shows and, and that's it. Um, there's been an insane amount that goes on behind the scenes. And yeah, I'm involved in, in all of it. I, I, I find it super fascinating. And I, I want to have, the, I mean, the whole point of this is that like, we have control uh, over it. And we make the decisions that we think are right, not what, you know, some, you know, CEO who went to Harvard Business School thinks is right. Like we actually know the space and, and we think is right. I was going to say you have like, as a person, you have a great feel for what's going on. Like you interact with your audience and shit. So there, there's no one like you could be as good as you can be at business. Like you said, coming out of Harvard or whatever, but like you ultimately, even if you've never ran a business before can make those decisions a hundred times better than anyone who has no idea what's going on within the fantasy space. So you said, you know, you're trying to learn and you're getting more and more into the whole business thing. Like day by day, there's so many decisions going into it. Did you actually think that it was going to be, obviously you didn't, you're not this naive to think it was just really just setting up the website, putting out content and things, but like compared to how crazy it is, how much more work have you been investing into it than you originally thought it would be? Or like, what are, what are some of the biggest obstacles that have like come up that you didn't think were going to be a thing when you started? Yeah, tech for number one. I mean, it's it's hard to to scale without uh, an understanding of the tech side and getting people who who uh, can do the tech side uh, really well. So that's been eye opening. I think there's a ton of contractual and legal stuff about uh, having a company um, and lawyering that goes on that. I wasn't aware of. I think if you're only in it for the short term, you know, you, you want to start a business and, and try to print something off for a year or two, then a lot of this long-term stuff, like it doesn't matter how well your business are set up or your tech side or, or whatever. I think if you're trying to build something long-term, then all this business stuff comes way more into play and, and we're trying to build something big for the long-term. So yeah, I think short-term, maybe I could have done it myself long, long-term having a real business plan and actual uh, strategies and partnerships and stuff like that is is for sure necessary. When you mean tech, are you referring to like web development? I know a thing for you guys that was a little bit of an issue early on was trying to get the established to run the paid podcast out mm -hmm. to subscribers on the iTunes channel. I don't even want to know how difficult that was that would be because I'm I'm like familiar with a lot of the things that you're bringing up. But when it comes to like in order to do that shit, you like really need to know what you're doing behind the scenes when it comes to coding and stuff. It, it, are those the things you're referring to when you mean tech? Yeah, I mean, just every every little thing. Yeah. Oh, the subscribers should have uh, they want the podcast on iTunes. That makes sense. How do we do that? And the next thing I know, it's like a 20 hour project for a developer. You know what I mean? I, I had just had no idea. I thought it would just be like, you know, snap your, not snap your fingers, but I didn't think every little thing that you wanted to do on the website would be such a process. So, so yeah. And, you know, we had uh, server issues at the beginning, you know, we had all kinds of issues, you know, Adam Schefter like retweeted one of Evan's tweets at the beginning and just completely crashed the site. And uh, <laughs> one of the Sunday shows, like the site crashed too many people were trying to log in at once because like the login people were, weren't staying, weren't caching their login, uh, you know, like a million things like that. And, um, yeah, so it, it just it just is what it is. I, I wish that I knew more about uh, tech, but at this point, I feel like that ship has kind of sailed on me, even though maybe it shouldn't. But 
I feel like the ship has kind of sailed on me on, on coding and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, the time you'd have to take to learn it is probably not worth that time that you'd put elsewhere. Yeah. All right. So I, I do want to ask about, because you guys sell a product, which is your content and you sell it at a, a very, very premium price within the industry. I want to talk through the decision that, that made you want to put it at this price point. Cause this is like a very, when you had brought up like me and Evan doing this, like, Oh, you know, there's risks there. The way I looked at it, like the following that you guys had built, the audiences, the branding, and like just the loyalty from those people that you built, there's no way that it could fail at least in the short term, right? Three to five years, because you guys have built such a cushion for what you have already, you know, made within the space. But when it comes to this premium price point, like this was something that me as like an outsider and people out there are like, wow, this is, you know, somewhat risky because you will be cutting off a huge portion of your audience from, from purchasing the subscription at a, it's $200, right? It was for the first season. Correct. Yep. So $200 price point, And that's one of the more expensive pieces for, I, I think a lot of the audience was, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of it was season long, at least a, a pretty good portion of it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say how many, what, what percentage. I think people underestimate the overlap between season-long players and DFS players. But yeah, I, I, it's hard to say how many of them were actually se just season-long players. Yeah, the only reason I, I, I asked that question is because I, I think there's a different, you know, you could you could kind of waver between price points when you're talking about DFS versus season-long. The typical season-long fan will probably spend about $30 tops on something that they think is a really good piece of content that will help them mm -hmm. either draft or throughout the season. Where DFS, there are people that are gambling $20,000 a weekend, so they have no problem dropping $200 on a product like yours, but coming from like Evan Silva is a big season long guy. You're a big DFS yeah. guy. You've, you know, you guys have built a brand around having followings all over the spaces. So with that price point where you guys just like, we are the creme de la creme, like we are the best in fantasy football. So we are going to be charging that much and people are going to pay it because they want our content. Was that, is it that simple? Uh, it was a super hard decision. I mean, pricing is, is really hard. You can do projections and math. Obviously we know that there's a lot of season long people that you know, we love and, and that aren't going to pay. They're not going to get to read Evan's column. We did offer a package for Evan's column only. Uh, I forget how much that was, but it was cheaper. It wasn't cheap, but it was, it was cheaper. And so we thought that that would be good maybe for some of the people who just wanted to read Evan's column. I think a lot, you can always make things cheaper. You can always uh, do sales. You can always run promos. You, you can't really make stuff more expensive midway through the season or whatever, no. you know? And so I thought that it was right to err on the side of expensive. I, I thought that, I thought one thing that like Poker Go is like a subscription for uh, people that watch poker and they charge like something relatively cheap, like $10 a month. I don't know how many subscribers they have, but like the people that are willing to pay to watch poker streams are willing to pay a lot more, you know? So like it, the people that are actually willing to buy it are willing to pay a lot more and you're not really losing that many people. So I don't know, there's a lot that, that goes into it. I, I just, I always would want to err on the side of charging what we think it's worth and we think it's worth a lot. And especially for TFS players, which, you know, I think make up a large portion um, probably of the subscribers for the draft kits. Certainly there were, you know, so many season long people that wanted Evan's rankings and all the team previews and stuff like that. Uh, but for the in season package, yeah, I, I mean, $200 in the DFS world, as you mentioned, is, is pretty cheap. It brings it to an interesting point because $200 is a, is a high price point for a lot of people. But one thing I've learned is 
you know, before I, before I was doing this stuff full time, I was a freelance, uh, like marketer. I was working at an agency in New York and I was running paid social campaigns like Facebook and Instagram. So like the sponsored posts you see on the newsfeed, eventually left the job and I was doing it on my own. I would work with like smaller, medium sized businesses and I had no fucking idea how to price, right? Like I, it was the first time I went on my own and I was maybe like 24 at the time or something. So sending over a contract, even asking them for like a, an eighth of what they would be paying a normal agency for felt like really nerve wracking. I was like, they're not going to want to pay me. They're not going to want to pay a kid. Even, even though I was confident in what I was doing and I knew how to like run the campaign successfully, but I've learned really quickly that like, people have money and people are willing to pay for things that they want. You know what I mean? Like whether it's a hundred dollars, $200, yes, they'll pay for it. And like you said, like you can't go up in the price. But one thing that I, I sell a, a draft guide throughout the summer for the season long audience and legit, like if I, I bought concert tickets last, last summer, one point, it was like the end of July or something. And I was just like, fuck it. Like they were kind of expensive. I bought four tickets. I was like, you know what? I want to like reimburse these tickets. So I just sent out an email to my email list. I was like, yo, draft guides on sale for like 50% off for the next like 10 minutes or whatever. And that shit just like shot right up. And I was like, yo, it's crazy how well these sales really work. Throwing in like different tactics like that works so well. And it's not really something that you think about because your email is like consistently flooded with like, oh, 10% off sale, 25% off sale. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, like from your guys' point of view, obviously you ran some of that stuff throughout the summer and throughout the year going into next year. I'm sure. You've learned so much about your audience and so much from the industry itself, from a business perspective, how are you looking at planning for like the upcoming year in terms of, you know, bringing on new customers and trying to hold on to the customers that you already have? Yeah, we're trying to add more, uh, quantitative. I think we have the qualitative stuff down with Evan mostly and me. I think there is a lot of room to be more data-driven when it comes to uh, projecting players. So um, yeah, we posted a job a couple weeks ago for director of analytics and right. uh, we expect to hire somebody there soon that can give us more of a, uh, hey, I, I know you guys love X guy. Let me explain uh, what needs to happen for X guy statistically, mathematically, what needs to happen for X guy to actually do what you're saying. And so I think that kind of back and forth can be really good and really valuable to have the best of both qualitative and quantitative. So I think adding stuff like that, I think will be really, really, I think really, really valuable for people. But yeah, you know, I think the feedback that we got, most people were happy with the product and yeah, we just need sports to happen now. That's all. <laughs> all right. So you guys are going to be adding more, not content creators in a sense, but how many people do you have working full-time for ETR right now? Uh, full-time, just, just the four, uh, founders right now. Okay. And the rest of the, the rest of the people are pretty much just, are they like part-time? Are they freelance? Are they just like contributors to, are they just like excited to attach their name to your stuff? Yeah, no, everybody's paid and, and, and everybody is all the freelancers. I think it's pretty standard in, in fantasy football, you know, people write on a per article basis or, you know, an hourly basis and stuff like that. I think most of the guys have regular jobs. They just do this on the side because you know, they love it. And they want to make some extra money. And, and a lot of them are really, really good, but I think that's pretty standard. Yeah. Okay. I was curious as to, you kind of touched on it in, in terms of like what you plan to include in this upcoming year. And you have the smart business people behind you that probably think about these numbers and stuff. Are you guys concerned at all about the churn rate of your customers, given that it's a high price point? Or are you, are you based on the feedback you're saying that they seem pleased with the product and you're not really too concerned with it? Yeah, I mean, we don't have any, any much data on that yet, but uh, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I, I, I think we just need to do what we do. We know that people love it. They've loved it for the last 10 years. And I think if we concentrate on doing 
uh, what we do and keep making it better that it's going to work out okay. But yeah, I don't know. Talk to me in three to five years. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'll have you back on the show. So with the content you guys are putting out, what percentage of it, how much of it is behind a paywall versus how much of it is free throughout the off season and season? It kind of switches up, right? Yeah. And that's been a, a debate too. We want to make as much stuff as free as possible so that, uh, you know, we, we a, just want people to, who can't afford to still get to read us and stuff like that. And we want to get our stuff out there so people can see it at the same time. I don't want people who actually paid to feel like, why are they giving this stuff away for free? So it's a hard balance. So during the season, anything DFS related, anything that we think you can use to win uh, is behind the paywall. So that's most of it during the season, uh, almost all of it during the season. In the off season, we have everything is free right now on the site. So, you know, Evan's top 150 and dynasty rankings and all the free agency stuff and all the podcasts are free. I think the podcast, you know, is uh, being free. And doing a lot of them is really good. You know, people get to know us. And yeah, I think that's probably our best free thing that will stay free all year round. Even during the season, we were doing one free podcast a week just to have people get uh, gain some access and, and let, let them know what we're, what we're up to. Yeah, it's a very fine line to walk there between, you know, how much you want to put in front, how much you want to put behind. Because if you start putting too much behind the paywall, then, you know, you're going to start losing any kind of growth that you have because people can't, you know, they can't find you and they're never going to connect with you that way. So right. um, I'm sure there's been some interesting debates behind behind the walls of ETR on, on that kind of stuff. Usually we end these interviews with some random questions that I feel like you might have some good answers for. Best purchase you've made under $100. Yeah, best purchase I've made under $100. I have this uh, portable phone charger. It's like a, like a brick that I got. And I didn't think I'd use it that much. It's literally the best thing on earth. Uh, I charge it and it gives me like four charges into my phone. So I, once you charge the brick, you can carry it around. I, I just put it in my bag. And anytime I need my phone charged, I just put it in there. It's amazing. I also still use, everybody's gonna laugh at me. You guys probably don't even know what, what it is. Uh, something called a TI-82 uh, calculator, which right. is like, uh, oh, hold on. <laughs> I think it's like no, 60 have, bucks or something. I have something. my TI-83 right on the table yeah. over there. When 83, 83 is a good version. Yeah, yeah, yeah 83 is a good version. Yeah, I, I like, uh, for whatever reason, I like being able to see when I'm doing like any type of math problem, I like being able to see what I put in instead of it just like disappearing. And then I have to keep looking and where, find it, figure out where the error was. So uh, I love my, my TI-82. It's Bro, I love that call because I use that when I'm doing my research all the time. And anytime, like I'll, I'll accidentally leave it in like maybe the corner of my table for one of my videos or something. And people always fucking call it out and shit on it. I'm like, this is the best purchase. That actually might be my answer. I'm really fucking excited you said that. All right, so you, you've done a lot of things outside of fantasy sports. You wrote the book or at least the ebook, gambling and these kind of things. I'm, I'm curious, like now that you are a business owner, like over the next maybe three to five years, 10 years, maybe down the line, is there some kind of like creative endeavor outside of anything that you've done up to this point that you could see yourself pursuing? Yeah, you know, I have, I have, I, I wish I had developed more interest. My interests for so long have been peer to peer games. You know, I, I think that there's room and we tried it with the Gambling Olympics with Action Network. Uh, there's room for stuff like that, where we thought it'd be really cool and people would actually really like to watch uh, us all rent a house and just gamble against each other for a few days and see who comes out on top. Uh, I think that's super interesting. I think we could do better on, on the format, which we learned a lot about. But yeah, that was that was cool. Um, I wish I had something for you that was better interest, like that frying pan tennis match that I played where I played Steve Bass. Uh, he had a frying pan and I had my racket. Stuff like that is so fun. 
So like more lifestyle stuff, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I've done so many of those fitness bets. I did that bench press bet against Peter and, mm-hmm. and me, me and Bales have run uh, like three or either two or three mile races against each other now. Yeah, all that stuff is, uh, people that's love it. Stuff. And I love, that's yeah, the it's the best. Stuff. I mean, ba- ba- Barstool has basically built their entire brand based on shit like that. I think our industry needs way more stuff like that. It's a reason I, I put out vlogs all the time. Like I love shooting the behind the scenes shit that's going on mm-hmm. you know, in my life and stuff. And I feel like it connects you with the audience on a whole nother level, right? It brings in people and they connect with you and shit that they've never seen. Like if you guys made a vlog, like at the, I, do you guys all work remotely? Uh, yes. Are you ever, how often are you together physically? The ETR crew? Yeah. Uh, yeah, since we started, we probably met up maybe three times. You guys should vlog the next time you guys meet up. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. I know vlog is probably like something you're like fucking brand ambassador alert is going off in your mind right now. I'm telling you, the people in your audience would absolutely love that shit. I agree. We, but we got to hire somebody to like follow us with a camera, you mean? You could do that. I mean, I, I fuck around with the camera all the time. I have a couple cameras that I'll follow around with like me and my friends and stuff. I don't, I, I think like there's uh, definitely a fine line between doing it yourself and having someone follow you around. That's probably to like another level, which I would actually love to do, to be honest with you, only because I hate handling the camera. It's super annoying. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's either one. Have Evan handle the camera. I'm sure he's behind it. No. Um, okay. So more lifestyle stuff. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's, that's a very good answer. I love that stuff too. So best purchase on under a hundred dollars. We have creative endeavors. We want one bold prediction, one very bold prediction for the future of the fantasy football industry as a whole. I don't know how, how bold it is, but I think we're going to see like a melding of sports betting and fantasy instead of a DFS tournament where you pick players, uh, you could have teams and you could assign salaries to, you know, if Patriots minus seven cost 5,000 and you try to make teams that way. And so I think, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel will and should continue to innovate on the sports betting side to bring in what has made DFS and fantasy so successful uh, on the season long side, you know, playing against your friends and, and stuff like that. And on the DFS side, you know, people just love trying to turn a little money into a lot. So yeah, I, I think there's room for like so much innovation on combining sports betting and fantasy football, if that makes any sense. No, it makes tons of sense. I think, I think like the whole betting side of things is going to eventually take over the sport itself. So the first people, first platforms that figure out how to successfully integrate it with the audiences that they already have there for fantasy football and DFS or whatever are the ones that are probably going to win. So there's, there's really no choice, you know, it's coming. So that makes, makes a lot of sense. I think all three of them kind of bring their own unique audience to the table in a sense, because season long are people that are like semi-passionate people that are into DFS. What percentage of people that play DFS you think are like really into it? You know, like not just like, okay, Oh, you know, I have $5 on my account from six weeks ago. Let me just build a random lineup. Yeah. It's tough to say. I mean, uh, I know how many people are listening to the podcast. And so I assume all those people are actually like trying really hard. And so, you know, it's buried a lot, but uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's so many people on DraftKings that only play football that, only play tournaments that only play the Millie maker, you know, that's probably a huge portion of the field. The yeah. people that we interact with on Twitter, uh, feels like it's everybody, but it's actually a small portion. <laughs> it of the field, is, it so. is everybody, Adam. It is yeah. everybody. <laughs> no one else. Yeah. Is the thing about it is though, it's aspirational, right? I think people don't like a lot of this stuff. It's so like people want to with poker, with DFS, with sports betting, it's so aspirational. Like even if they only go on their phone and play $5, they still might want to listen to somebody or talk, with somebody who is trying really hard who has five figures in playing stuff like that. Like they actually want to, they still want to hear that stuff and, and they connect with it still, you know, like Doug Polk has like the biggest YouTube channel. I know he's not doing poker anymore, but like 
all the people listening to Doug Polk, they're not all playing poker and most of them probably can't. Uh, and a lot of them are playing probably like $1, $2, whatever. It's, it's, it's as super aspirational. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of those people too that are consuming content. Yeah. I mean, they're all over the place and eventually Vegas is going to find a way to, to take their money. I have no doubt in that. <laughs> all right. So that is, uh, I believe that's going to wrap up this episode of Behind the Business of Fantasy Football with Mr. Adam Leviton, his Twitter. I might just make you an Instagram just, just to link it down there and then you'll have to yeah. use it afterwards. Twitter and the Establish Run podcast will be right below his video the entire time. Uh, the rest of the stuff that we have talked about throughout the video will be linked in the description as well as pinned in the comment section. Make sure that if you enjoyed the video, you hit that thumbs up button. Adam, I want to uh, send a sincere thank you your way for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate your time. You've been an inspiration to people like me, uh, kind of coming up and continuing the grind after seeing you do it for so long. So thank you for joining. Thank you for doing what you do. So keep grinding away at, at ETR. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the 2020 season. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.